Welcome to the Channel Partner Podcast. This is episode one. You're listening to Paul Spain. You have Bradley Burrows and Skip Parker. Hey, welcome to the studio, guys. Uh, this is exciting. Very, uh, very good to have our very first Channel Partner Podcast uh, episode coming together. Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic couple of series of shows around the Channel Podcast and the network that's out there. Yeah, so uh, the sort of, uh, for those that are listening in, the sort of uh, topics that we're going to be covering really are those things that are relevant to those who work within the industry, within the IT industry, uh, the IT channel, uh, and and also the telecommunications channel. So all of those channel partners, uh, we're here ready to serve you with content. So we'll be keen to hear back from you about what you enjoyed about uh, the podcast, any topics that you'd, you'd like to see covered in the future. The sort of brands that we're likely to be talking about, uh, the likes of uh, Microsoft, Cisco, uh, Nokia, Oracle, Samsung. What are the other sorts of brands, Brad? Uh, Citrix, um, VMware, um, we're going to look at Juniper. So we're really going to cover a broad spectrum of um, of hardware manufacturers, software, and everything out in that channel. channel Talking about sort of voice over IP on the totally. telecommunications side, hardware and software, and really, I guess, the big topics of the day that are that are relevant to those who are working in the, in the uh, uh, working as channel partners, right? Yeah. So where can they find more information about the Channel Partner Podcast? Okay. So uh, we've launched our uh, our website is at channelpartnerpodcast.com. So that's that's online now. And yeah, we'll be filling in uh, the website uh, with information about each show as it as it comes out. And there'll also be uh, blog posts and, and other news items up there as well. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. And our Twitter handle is just at channelpartner. So that's that's where you'll find us. Nice and simple. All right. Well, let's let's dive into it now. One of the big topics that that's really creating a lot of discussion out there amongst those within within the channel has been around the consumerization of of IT, and and I think that's probably a really great topic for us to dive in and 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 discuss first up. Yeah. Look, I mean, it's a buzzword that's thrown around a lot: the consumerization of IT, and I think for us talking about this, I think we should be clear in what it means to each of us. So, I mean, Paul, Skip, what does it mean to you guys? Well, I think, um, you know, to, to start with, it, it's it's that concept that that we're all consumers, right? And, you know, we all have sort of personal preferences around technology and the communications devices that we use day to day. And, you know, first and foremost, we're consumers, but we also, you know, generally, uh, most of us work, work inside a business. And so the consumer Consumerization of IT is really um, that bringing those personal preferred devices into the business workplace. So that might be a smartphone, an iPhone, Android phone, Windows phone. It might be a laptop or you know some other sort of computing device uh, that I, that I might want to bring with me into the workplace. Yeah, and I think the other flip side of that is that consumers themselves, and this is just home users and the, and the people that are just using equipment at home, want don't necessarily want to be tied down to multiple devices to do what they do in the day. They just want to be simple, one device to be able to do their home and their work as well if possible. They also want to take some of the experiences that they have at their home space back to work as well. I mean, how many times have you heard from the staff, man, I can get much faster internet at home? 
or I wish I could do this on my my computer because I can do it on my iPad and stuff like that. So it's that user experience at the very consumer level, nice and simple, brought back into business. I think the key thing for me, I mean, I agree with everything you guys have just said, but one of the other key things I've seen with the consumer consumerization of IT is that a lot of organizations are starting to give their staff hardware allowances to buy their home slash work device. And I think it's what we're seeing now is organizations are getting smart that they can go, here's your allowance, you just bring your device in, and it's your home and it's your, your work life as well. So uh, I think that added value on top of that is people are having choice about what they bring in. Yeah, it's that personal choice, isn't it? You know, like people get to you know maybe choose what car they what car they drive around. You know, it might be funded by the company, but there's a level of you know personal choice about what they get. And I think there's also an aspect for organisations that can't afford IT, like not for profits, they can't necessarily buy the latest devices to be able to allow their staff who may be able to get those devices into the workspace and be able to improve productivity with staff without having to break their own IT budget. So a lot of cust- a lot of staff are quite happy to bring their products into work if they're allowed to use it at work. So it's that crossover into that space as well. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Well, I guess this this is a space that, that that's fraught with sort of a whole mix of pros and cons, isn't it? Because totally. the, you know the complexity of having to support a mix of devices within a business is something that, that it's not necessarily very easy, and it's certainly not a traditional way of of running an IT department or for an outsourced IT provider to have to uh, maintain a network supporting you know any sort of random uh, bring your own technology to the mix so you know that that can potentially add some some costs and and other challenges yeah look I think any organization or any partner that's looking to implement and go down this path with a with, with a client needs to be very clever around the management tool sets now what I mean by that is the way that you when you bring a device in, that it can be managed and be secure, that it meets certain criteria to make sure it's safe to run on your corporate network. And I, I think that's the key thing that that people need to look at when they're starting to go down and look at this from an implementation side of things. So when you're out there and you're going through, do your research, but be very clear around that a, a management tool set can manage more than just Windows devices. They can manage your Apple, your iPad 2s, your iPhones, your BlackBerry devices. It, it's very simple. And, you know, I think it's also important for, you know, those within the channel that are maybe selling these concepts to to customers to, you know, you have to be upfront with your customers and and be honest that, um, yeah, there, there might be a whole bunch of benefits of allowing this sort of bring your own device or bring your own uh, computer into the mix, but there are also costs associated with that management. So it doesn't all necessarily come for free. No, I totally agree. I think you, you do actually have to look very carefully at the pros and cons because this concept is very new. I mean, this is something that's only really kicked off in the last... I think nine to twelve months. Uh, would that be a fair comment? Nine to twelve months. It, it, so. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really gained some traction yeah. during during that time. Uh, in most cases, it's tended to be much smaller organisations uh, that are small enough and agile enough to uh, to do this. But we've seen some, you know, some cases of l- larger um, corporations that have that have opened the doors to these concepts as well. And I think have seen some some good results from it. 
I think the one thing that scares me the most about it, coming from a consumer or customer base here, is the security aspects of things. You know, because you you want to try and provide data to people on these consumer devices, but you want to make sure it's done in a secure manner. So that's the one one thing that's really worrying me about a lot of this consumerization move is just really how am I going to secure that data? Now, I mean, you mentioned a good thing about management tools, being able to manage devices that are coming into the into your uh, environment, which is really important. I think also sort of trying to get the right type of network setups as well. So, you know, do you actually set up a wireless access point for all your consumer devices and then allow that straight onto your corporate network? Possibly not. Possibly, Possibly need not. To, yeah, you need to look dangerous. at this a bit more smarter and say, look, let's treat all our wireless networks as hostile and then create secure paths from consumer devices into our corporate network. To piggyback on what you're just saying then is that I know of some organizations that use uh, particular software products that when you connect your device, it puts you onto the network for a period. It allows you to, it does a couple of checks on your device, and if you actually pass that criteria then you actually can move on to the corporate land and have access. And what it means is that any device can plug in anywhere. So in theory, every wireless access point is open. Every Ethernet port in the organization is open. But you can walk in with your laptop, and if you don't meet particular X and Y criteria, you can't go beyond this quarantine zone, so you've just got what they class as public Wi-Fi, for instance. But if you manage to get through the checks, which is quite a few then suddenly you get into the corporate land. So Now, there was one interesting case that I've come across where staff were a little bit tired of using their um, internal IT systems. They just weren't getting what they needed to, and they pushed a lot of their requirements up into the cloud and started communicating as staff amongst Google operating, uh, Google Cloud services, so using Google Docs to do collaboration and stuff like that. And so that's another thing that we need to be really aware of, is that if you're not going to provide this stuff, you need to be aware of where your data is going because... Sometimes the consumers in that space will just go there naturally to a place where you may not want your data to go. So it's something to be very aware of. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. I've actually heard quite a few horror stories around that where IT has been seen as a blocker, not an enabler. So every time the IT department were asked to do something around this consumerization of IT, they'd be like, no, we've got standards. That yeah. creates a great opportunity for the channel, doesn't it? So well, it does. you know, channel partners can come in, and if they've got answers to these challenges that, that exist within the corporate IT departments, then, hey, you've got, a, you've got an opportunity to do some good business there. And I think the thing is that channels need to, channel partners need to be aware of the social networks and the risks around social networks so that when they go and engage with clients, they're actually totally aware of it. They can be informed and say, look, there are some security security risks. There are some organizations that are using Facebook to communicate with their staff, and it's perfectly fine and perfectly okay for the type of data that they're sharing, but it's just being aware of the risks associated to some of these social network spaces. Excellent. Some really good points there, guys. Now, I'd, I'd just like to wrap, the, wrap this discussion up for this week, and we're definitely going to come back to it on another episode. Uh, but really, what, what would be the one, the one piece of advice from each of you, Brad? So whenever I'm talking to the channel partners, um, my one thing is make sure you choose the right management platform. Make sure you research it. Make sure it's going to hit all the customer's requirements because most people have multiple devices in there. And take your time and make sure you're actually going to hit all those particular points that they wanted to look after as well because a lot of platforms out there say they can do it, but when you dig under a little bit, they're a bit light on the ground. 
Yeah, now, and from my angle, I think uh, consumer, consumerization should not be a lowering of standards for your organization. It should be set the standards for the clients that are uh, connecting to your network that are going to participate in your network. So have the, uh, the antivirus, the full management suite, if you can fit it onto a device. If it's not going to be antivirus and not managed, don't need it on the network. Just don't need it near it. Set that standard. I mean, this is your network. This is your data. Make sure it talks to your network securely. And it's just those high standards that you expect out of devices, which is there in consumer devices. Yeah, I think that's really important. And and channel partners need to be mindful of that because if they roll out solutions to their customers without uh, without this sort of uh, foresight, uh, then you know they, they're going to be the ones that are in the firing line when there are security issues and, and, and problems down the track. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, a couple more points I'd like to add is just you know be mindful of the size of your uh, of your customer. So you know if you're dealing with a with a with a big large multinational, then you know, obviously the the level uh, of management and, and rules and so on that you're going to need to have around this is going to need a lot more investment and foresight. The, the, than a smaller organisation where you can probably, you know, work out a solution, you know, pretty quickly. So, yeah, you, you need to consider those things. And also bear in mind that um, this can't be the sort of thing where you you design it today and it stays the same uh, necessarily for the next five years because there are new uh, products and technologies that are going to be added to the mix all the time. Every month there will be a new smartphone or a new device that you're going to need to have a way of deciding whether you can support it and how you'll support it. So you definitely need to be agile in, in the space of the, the, the bring your own device or the con, you know consu- supporting of consumer devices. So uh, yeah, those would be, would be the main points on, uh, on this one. Okay, right now we are going to dive into an interview with John Roskell. Uh, he is a Microsoft Vice President who covers um, or work, works and oversees uh, Microsoft Partner Network and also the guy, of course, for those who are at uh, Microsoft's Worldwide Partner Conference who was uh, who was leading that conference and uh, bouncing around on, on, on stage. Yeah, and I mean, this is, a, this is going to be a really good interview for the, for the people listening to this that want to get an understanding of what Microsoft's doing around it, its, its partner network and, and where it's going and what it's been doing over the last 12 months. Yeah, excellent. All right, let's, uh, let's get in there. Congratulations, John, on the, uh, the one-year anniversary of the Microsoft uh, Partner Network. Yeah, well, well thanks. I mean, it's, uh, it's a very exciting milestone. Um, you know, it's interesting because at one level, WPC was, was a very important milestone. Um, and yet, if we look at what's happened um, since then, you know, even, even through the last weeks of June till now, there's been quite an acceleration happening around um, the network uh, around competency achievements, and um, it's it's good. It's exciting to see what's going on, and I'm very excited with the um, and happy with the response we've seen from partners. Excellent. So, from your perspective, what what have been the highlights of the first year? Obviously, we've we've got WPC, the Worldwide Partner Conference, is is a big thing on the calendar and, and has been for some time. What what have been the other highlights of this uh, this first year of uh, of Microsoft Partner Network, NPN? Well, I'd say, you know, the, the, first, the first highlight is, you know, we threw the switch on October 31st a year ago. And whenever you uh, – I've done enough of these things. I've done office launches over my career and 
Um, I ran uh, developer for a while, and so was responsible for the MSDN website. And whenever you do something that's at this big, at this scale, with this much change, and you flip the uh, switch, the first thing you're, you're, uh, you're, is, a, is a highlight is that we actually got through the first week without the website crashing. Um, people had generally had a really good enrollment experience. Um, you know, the performance was there. And um, that might sound, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe it's a funny thing to say, but when, you know, uh, a lot of people don't appreciate what it means to have a website that has, you know, over 100,000 people hammering on it at once and what, you know, what that, you know, it, it creates scenarios sometimes you haven't thought through. So, but then, you know, the real highlights from there are we've then, we've gone through a year of what has been a substantial change um, that we've really required of the, of our partners, you know, to work with us and through this transition. We gave them plenty of heads up that it was coming. Um, but then still, you know, when we, we head off to go do it, it required a lot of readiness, um, a lot of, uh, exams that had to be, you know, to be taken. And, um, uh, and we put a lot of money out into the ecosystem, both in the traditional competencies, uh, as well as some of the new cloud areas. And, um, you know, at the end of this now, we've, you know, we now have over, over 38,000, uh, partners re-upped with over 38,000, um, gold and silver competencies. And, you know, that's the end, the end byproduct. And I think we feel really, really good about that. And then kind of the icing on the NPN cake is what's happened with cloud. And we feel, you know, the, the, the amount of partners that have locked onto our cloud programs and are reselling, we feel very good about. I mean, for, for partners who uh, maybe haven't got to the point of, you know, going through competencies and so on, and, you know, there's probably still a few out there that they haven't got their head around what uh, what NPN is all about. What's uh, how would you how would you boil it down into just a few words? Well, I, you know, I'd start with just NPN, right? And the NPN, the NPN, you know, you can even start higher level and say, all right, well, so Microsoft, and maybe it's obvious why people would want to partner with Microsoft, but, um, you know, we, we believe we are the best company to partner uh, in the world, and it starts with our company's product line. You know, we've got the, the richest and broadest product line, and everything we do from the product design you know, which is fundamentally a platform to allow partners to build on. You know, everything we do is 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 built around the notion of the partner ecosystem. You know, so that's that's the reason to start off with Microsoft as a company, and then MPN is is uh, what we believe is the world leading the world's leading partner program. And uh, you know, so through that we we start off. You know, we want you to come and 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 work with us at whatever level is interesting and exciting for you. And so, you know, you can start off just by going to the, the MPN portal and beginning engaging with us on, on that dimension. We have lots of great material, on, uh, particularly for new partners or small partners, on how to, how to grow and accelerate their business. If I, was, if I was a new partner starting out, getting onto one of our, um, one of our subscriptions uh, is, is a, kind of a no-brainer. Uh, we have hundreds of thousands of partners out there. It really is sort of the breadth of the the breadth of the ecosystem uh, that are on one of our subscription programs. And um, you know, it depends which country you're in, but it's it's in the $300 a year range. And for that, you get access to tens of thousands of dollars of software and some support benefits and other components that kind of make it. If you really are seriously want to be a partner at all. 
it's kind of a no-brainer to spend the 300 bucks on that. And then what tends to happen is then you, you, you get skilled up, you start to work on that, and you start getting some certified um, professional, uh, some certified professional uh, certifications. And that's when you can start saying, all right, well, what, what's getting to the next level really mean? And from there you can go to, you know, let's start and try and get to a silver competency. And from a silver competency, you can go two ways. You can add other silver competencies, and we've seen – uh, a, a fair number of partners do that, and they're they're saying, "Look, I'm very happy playing in the silver space. My job is more serving um, small to mid market customers, and I think the silver brand is perfect for that." Um, or they can say, "Look, I, I want to really go deep in one area and grow up to gold." And um, and then the bigger partners are going for multiple golds, and there are a few people who are sort of driving the contest around who's the uh, the partner with the most golds. And that's kind of amusing to watch, but I'm not sure that that's really relevant to most partners. You know, what we're what we're doing through competencies is it's a an encouragement around focus and pick the areas of the business that you're really going to go focus and 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 have expertise in, and that this badge with a competency on it really um, explicitly states that. And when you look across the world, obviously you're you know you're responsible for for this on a global basis. How do you feel it's it's scaled for sort of smaller partners through to the larger partners, uh, small countries and large countries. How, how's that working out? Well, I think, you know, coming through the design phase and, uh, and into launch, we did have some feedback uh, very clearly from um, smaller partners. Uh, we had a set of partners who might be, say, six or eight people, um, not all of them technical, who previously had been able to get something, let's say, three, two or three gold competencies, that by the new requirements um, of, you know, typically it's four certified professionals on staff to be gold, are only able to get one gold in the new uh, in the new competency framework. And I, I, what I would say, our message around that was, you need to decide whether you want to be a generalist or do you want to be a specialist. And if you want to be a generalist, then we encourage you, uh, and we've actually worked with a lot of smaller partners around the design of something we've got called the mid-market competency. And that is really a horizontally oriented um, uh, a competency for partners that want to go and play, and as the name says, the mid-market. Um, or if you want to go and work in, you know, more, you know, small all the way up to large companies, and but pick a specialization – Let's say it's business intelligence. Go do that. Go do that well, and then and then if you want to fill out other areas around that, focus that on silver competencies. And I think honestly, there was uh, some people got it. They they rocked it, and I think there was some a little bit of skepticism on how well that would work. But I can say I know we're a year through it. I've spent a lot of time recently with small partners, um, IAMCP, the International Association of Microsoft Certified Professionals. And um, I think this balance of being able to do gold in mid-market or being able to do uh, uh, gold in a specialization has actually worked out quite well. Now, the second – so that's a small partner um, question. The second part you asked about was countries. You know, again, I think we've got some, um, some countries. When you look at the countries, you know, really quite small countries like um, – I don't know. I've been to Chile recently, places like Vietnam, where it could become – it, it, it's more difficult to actually find for 
uh, certified professionals. Uh, what we're doing there, been doing, but we're actually doubling down on our uh, enablement and training efforts to get more certified professionals in the pipeline so it's easier for these partner companies to find and hire um, good people. Because I think that's the only that's the only thing holding them back. Every country that I have visited has been telling me the number one thing that I need is more Microsoft-skilled technical professionals to help me go after more pipeline. Okay, that's, that's great. It certainly seems as though the uh, specialization that the competencies have brought is, you know, is valuable for partners being able to differentiate themselves and, and to gain some, uh, some focus, although you know, it's, it's easy to understand uh, how partners I guess feel that it's a bit more of a challenge now to reach a you know reach a higher level, but the the level that they do reach I think is you know has been earned rather than being something that was very easy to achieve in the past. Yeah, and I think the ones that once they get there, they now feel I mean both on the partner side, uh, and interestingly, it's really starting to develop on the customer side because this is the 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 other side of the coin that I hear about from partners is you need to you know you need to really help us um, customers customers need to value this gold competency as well and I can tell you it's starting to happen the customers are seeing the differentiation and the partners are seeing the differentiation through that as well one of the one of the big focuses for Microsoft has been your your cloud strategy and it seems there's been a, there's been a big effort. Uh, to bring partners on board with that. How, how's that working out? And, um, you know, where do you see uh, the role of partners sort of longer term uh, in Microsoft's you know, cloud strategy? Well, I, I'd say broadly speaking, we're, we're happy where we are, but we could be, you could always be happier. Um, you know, it's, it's one of these things that is always going to be a bit of chicken and egg when you go through a, a massive technology transition um, like what we're going through right now. Uh, it's very similar to, you know, 1997, 1998 through the Internet wave, you know, or you can go back to like 1992, 1993 through the client server wave. Um, it feels very similar to me that that's what we're going through. And um, there's a set of partners that are out there on the leading edge, um, there's some that are driving cloud-only business models. There's a set of, uh, of kind of, you know, uh, boutique partners that are, you know, managing both cloud and on-premise. Um, and then there's a set of partners that will uh, go and do cloud if they're, you know, if they're pulled in on it. Um, but it's more of an opportunistic uh, approach. And so, you know, obviously what we're doing in, in that situation is betting on the partners that are there with us driving to the cloud. And it's, you know, it's nothing against, we love all the partners out there, but we believe the customers have made the decision here and that, over, you know, this transition is going to occur over the next five, five years or whatever. It's going to be a long way. And there's a set of partners who want to work with us on that, and we're really excited about that. You know, um, you know specifically, we have, we have over 40,000 partners that are now authorized to resell our cloud offerings. And so, you know, you sort of start from a, uh, from a channel management standpoint, you want to make sure that you have distribution and uh, and reselling capacity, and I, we feel pretty good about about that piece. Um, and it's an interesting question, you know. We we sort of uh, look at this and say, you know, we've done some modeling on it, but I would I would uh, kid you if I told you I think we've got the answer that we know exactly what we think our reselling our reselling capacity requirement is, but we think it's we think it's higher than where we are, and so we still have some work we're doing there. Um, obviously, we've got programs out there like Cloud Essentials 
uh, and Cloud Accelerate. Um, Cloud Essentials um, is, is well over 20,000 um, partners are in that. And, you know, I'm looking at the hundreds of thousands that are in our, um, in our subscription base, and I'm looking, about, at looking at what do we need to do to get them more involved in this. An absolute minimum, start taking advantage of the really rich uh, internal use rights that we're providing uh, to get them, you know, run your business, run your own business on CRM online. Start taking advantage of Office 365 benefit we're giving you. Start playing with Intune. Um, because if you get yourselves ramped on the cloud, you're going to be our, our best advocate to go out and drive on the cloud. So, so those are kind of the numbers and the reselling capacity. But let me take kind of a different angle on it, which is, which I think is one of the things that's most elegant about the competency model we've built out. And that is the competency model, because it aligns by workloads, workloads are, uh, exist regardless of where that software actually is. So business intelligence or a collab portal, it doesn't matter whether it's sitting on a SharePoint or SQL server um, on the, at the customer site, at a hoster site, or up in our public uh, cloud. There's still an application, some workload is being built out. And so for the solution provider um, or the solution partner part of our ecosystem, all the work we're doing around building up competencies forward with us in this, in this cloud era. And I think that that's one of the things that's most exciting about what we're doing here is we're making it, we're making it really easy for customers to move uh, a workload from on-premise to, to public cloud or to a hoster with our new license mobility efforts. We're making it really easy for a customer to make the decision on what they want. You know, it's cloud on their terms. And then we're making it really easy for a partner to plug in around that and take their, their skills and their competency forward in that context. And we've got a wave of new products that are going to be coming through, I imagine, over the next sort of six or 12 months, that are, months that are going to facilitate that more. Would that be fair to say? Recent beta of Intune, you've got, uh, well, Office 365 really just got out there this summer, and um, we've just revved CRM online as well. And... You know, it depends a little bit on the products, um, what people will see us doing around um, around features. But what's what's neat is we're taking advantage of this you know this cloud development um, and distribution capability to be able to do kind of major releases with some minor features and bug fix type stuff happening uh, in interim interim drops. Pretty cool. I mean, you see that happening in the phone as well. You know, Windows Phone. You look at the Mango release and how quick they got that out. So we're likely to sort of see, you know, I guess things continuing to accelerate. For instance, you mentioned uh, Intune, you know, the, um, the second release of that's just come through. I imagine uh, we're going to see new versions of that uh, iterating on, a, on an ongoing basis along with, uh, with 365 and, and the other products. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Now, one, one question there, um, in regards to Intune, it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting product in terms of what it offers to, uh, to partners, and there's a lot of partners already that uh, have moved into the managed services space, and they're, uh, they're licensing tools and, and, and products from other vendors and building that into uh, maybe into a managed services offering to a customer. Uh, where do you see Intune fitting in with that? Because Intune is a, is a product that, I guess, you know, partners 
can't build into their offering that has to be billed directly to the, to the customer? Do you see that's um, something that can change from Microsoft's end, or is that something that partners need to work into their model to make that fit together? Well, so um, Intune, I think, is interesting from uh, from a couple of perspectives. I mean, there's there's a set of people who are reselling um, Office 365 who have really figured out how to attach Intune um, to that sale. And what it's doing is it's 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 if you look at the upside that that brings you as a partner in terms of desktop incentive, uh, and then Surface Era for attaching a solution uh, sale on top of it. Uh, I, I think is huge, and I've I'm, I'm really been impressed by the partners that have seen to have figured that out. So I just flagged that as something for, for all the partners that listen to you um, to your podcast to be aware of. Uh, in terms of the, you know, the managed service provider space, uh, we absolutely are seeing a set of partners out there. If you, if you go up onto our website, I interviewed a guy named Chris Hertz from a partner called New Signature a couple weeks ago. Um, who is a, a, a managed service provider in the Washington D.C. area, and you know he's built up a whole a whole business around into now and is doing doing quite well with it. And um, I think there is the issue of how to approach the into sale, and he addresses that very specifically because that honestly is a little tricky in that uh, I think people are a little confused about is it. Uh, the best way to buy a Windows 7 upgrade, or is it really a, a managed services platform? You know, it's a little bit like, um, uh, you know, two things in one that sometimes are a little hard for the customer to connect. And I think Chris did a great, great job of connecting and talking about, look, you know, to, for you to be in a, in a modern uh, a modern managed environment, that's what the Windows 7 piece is about. And then the Windows uh, or the Intune piece is about us then taking, you know, keeping it current and helping manage it in, in a world-class way. The uh, the thing I think it's interesting about Intune as well as things like Office 365 is there's a feature that many uh, partners, for whatever reason, have not discovered, which is um, delegated administration. And um, whether or not you were doing the billing, uh, you know, because that's part of what your question was, Paul, was around. You know, partners are able to book with this in a managed service offering, and then ideally they would like to be able to bill on behalf. And um, we have absolutely heard some feedback around that. It's something we're looking at. <clears throat> but as of right now, what I tell them is if you really have the relationship um, you believe with the partners, the, they should be very willing to give you this delegated administration capability, and um, and that gives you full empowerment to manage their environments, which is what the MSP thing is all about. So that's kind of how I come at it and say, you know, are you are you really the admin or not? Start from there. Now, uh, looking forward, what can we expect uh, coming up from from NPN over the over the next year? And what are the things that you think uh, partners should really be looking to 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 embrace to make them the most out of their relationship with Microsoft over the next year or two? Okay. Well, we've talked about um, you know what we were doing at, at WPC about the two changes to the competency model, and we're trying to do that so that we give people you know plenty of runway there. Um, you know, breaking out voice is a separate competency. We're seeing so much excitement about, you know, about Link and the opportunity there that we felt that there's a set of partners that really want to, they really want to have that competency and that specialization that they can declare themselves a voice partner. 
And, um, you know, we're obviously, we're doing this call right now over link, working quite nicely. And, uh, uh, we're finding a lot of people, I mean, amazing customer reception. And this is the business that is just ramping. Uh, it's like the, it's like SharePoint was five years ago. I can tell, I can tell you and everyone on the call that. So that, you know, that's the first competency change. The second one was the um, combination of the virtualization and the management one, which is a place where we looked at and we said, look, you know, partners see these things as really the same thing. Um, so we did it as a way to collapse some of the surface area and make the, the operability of that easier for, for partners. Um, so, that, you know, that, those are the changes we made in the competency space. You know, I would I would expect that we won't make any other changes than those um, until WPC next year. There are a couple other things we're looking at right now, but uh, generally we're, we're trying to be pretty hardcore on a predictable cadence of we will announce things at WPC, and then they can expect them in October or sometime post-October for delivery. People can plan for it. The other things that I'll probably talk about around MPN is um, we've got cloud transformation workshops and a bunch of uh, – uh, other material, self-paced um, material that we've made available up on the MPN website to help drive that cloud acceleration we've been talking about. I think the feedback around that is, is good, and we're continuing to pour gas onto that. Uh, and then the last thing I'd say is, you know, the, the incentives we've got in market. You know, we've got our solution incentives now in market across uh, management of virtualization uh, around um, the link workload was the newest one we've added, business intelligence and app platform, uh, Windows 7, and then, uh, and then Azure. Uh, I would say that you can expect that over time we will add additional workloads to that um, as that continues to ramp. I think there's an opportunity for us to do a better job of alignment of the incentive model for if you look at how we do solution incentives now and how uh, we incentivize, say, SQL Azure in the cloud, they are quite different, and I don't think they need to be. And so that will give you some forecast on where we're going around uh, our incentive model over the next, say, year. Well, it was good to uh, good to hear from John, and and nice to hear uh, you know a, a bit more about the Microsoft Partner Network. There, um, you guys enjoyed that. Yeah, look, I, th- I think I learned a lot from actually the last sort of the fifteen minutes we've had with uh, John, and sort of hearing what's been going on in that land. I mean, for me this year, I've not actually, it's the first time I've heard of the Partner Network, the Microsoft Partner Network, and um, I have been really impressed about what it actually is and what they actually provide. So, yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah, look, it's a huge ecosystem, and I think what we're seeing out there now is that they're being smart and how they're pulling everything together. I think the future of what they're doing looks really interesting. Yeah. All right, now in other news, now there's obviously a, a, a lot of brands that are represented in the technology space for, you know, every partner will will have their sort of favourite brands that they work with depending on what their particular uh, specialty is. Um, but in the in the news in the, in, uh, in the last few weeks, we've heard that there has been a little bit of a change in order of the uh, the PC brands. Yeah, big, it's, a big, it's um, quite big. So, you know, for a long time, HP's been the, been the leader in the space and continues to to remain the, the number one uh, vendor. But what we've seen is the position number two and three has changed. So 
Dell have been in the number two position globally for, for quite some time. And what we've seen is Lenovo have just taken that spot and Dell have moved it down to, uh, to number three. Now, I'm not entirely surprised by Lenovo's move because for the first time, I think I could say forever, I've actually seen some very concerted efforts by Lenovo to market into business and cons- especially consumer space. So I'm, I'm not totally surprised to see that uh, that shift actually. Yeah, they have been they have been working very very hard, and of course, um, you know, being in being based in China, the chi- the Chinese market is is just growing in leaps and bounds, and so of course, their their share in China they do extremely well in, in China, being a being a Chinese company. Of course, they're the old IBM PC division, but but now they're Chinese based, and you know they're really taking advantage of. Uh, you know of that in the in the local market there, so I think it's a whole number of factors that have that have come together to help uh, position them there in that in that number two slot. And we've got Acer are at number four now, and Asus uh, coming in at number five. Now another area where we're seeing some some change of fortunes is in the mobile uh, the mobile phone space. Yeah, interesting numbers that have just come out. Yeah, so we've seen that uh, Nokia uh, still positioned as as a number one um, phone vendor across all you know in general. Yep. Um, of course, they're moving down in the in the smartphone space, um, but Samsung have moved up to play, position two. Uh, number three is LG Electronics. Number four is the uh, Chinese OEM uh, ZTE, and Apple are now at number five. So they've they've actually they've actually moved back a little bit, uh, which is which is quite interesting to see. Look, there's um, there's again no surprise there. I think um, the Samsung products that we have seen and got our hands on are clearly beautifully engineered products. I mean, these are. These are products of certainly the um, top end of their market, right? They're, yeah, they're, they're coming out with some good, good, some really good product. Th- these are products that would rival the the beauty of the iPhone for sure, um, and they seem to make really, really solid products. I mean, the um, uh, I understand that the Samsung Focus, the AT and T release one, has just gone end of life, and they did a sale of them in the states just to try and get rid of them, uh, what stock they had, and there was a, such a rush on them. Uh, that Samsung Focus, for example, is a really smart and really nice phone. Yep, and we've got the Galaxy S2, which yep. is, which has just broken records all, all around the world in, in terms of, of sales. It's done extremely well. And don't forget that Google have partnered with Samsung on their new Nexus phone, and that's going to be another absolute mind blow across um, across that mo- mobile market. So. Yeah, no, that, that's 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 interesting. And in the Windows Phone space, of course, they've got their their uh, new handsets coming out. Uh, we've got the Omnia W that's uh, that that's launching uh, internationally, and also handsets coming out in the US and the um, from from Samsung as well. So yeah, they're really really pushing hard. Nokia, of course, are making some really big moves and have just recently uh, announced their uh, Lumia 800 and Lumia 710 Windows phone-based uh, smartphones. So there's really a lot of activity in the in the smartphone market at the moment. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what movement we, we see over the next sort of 12 to 18 months. Now, um, just one one uh, last thing I'd like to chat about before we uh, before we wrap up this our, our first uh, episode of the Channel Partner Podcast is news from HP. Now, there were there was um, 
obviously their their announcement from their from their board just a couple of months ago that they were uh, aiming to split off the personal systems group or the, the division that sold their their PCs and uh, laptops and so on um, they've come back and said no that's going to be too expensive we're not actually going to make any major changes in that in that space what are your thoughts on that guys is is, is that expected or you know is is this a big surprise I, I don't think it, I, I don't think being the number one player in this space you'd spin that business off too quickly no, that, 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 that's my thought. But I mean, they they said that's what they were going to do, and they you know they'd obviously you know done done some thinking that had led them to that conclusion. But I guess there's been a lot of changes within within H, HP in in recent weeks. You know, they've changed the CEO, and you know they've seen their their their, their stock price drop. Uh, considerably since since that in, that original announcement, so yeah, I guess this actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, you don't. Uh, I guess when you're running a business as big as HP, it's worth investigating all the assets of the business, all the all the aspects of the business, I should say. And um, I mean, it would be a bold move for them to move off. Although, in saying that, a lot of people were saying that. Well, one one person particularly we were talking to uh, suggested that it wouldn't necessarily be a spin-off and sale of the business. It would just be pulled out of the main part of the company. Like HP used to do medical systems, and they still own the medical system. It's actually a privately held company by HP. So there was talk about whether HP would do the same with their PC division, just turn it into a privately held subsidiary of HP global business so but i mean at the end of the end of the day if you got rid of that business it would be a huge amount of money off the bottom line of your business and you'd really probably do detriment to your shareholdings i guess yeah i guess there's just not a lot of margin in that uh, in that in that space so you know it's worth being being well aware of the difference in in margins in the, in those two areas so yeah all right well it's going to be interesting to see what uh, what the future holds in the uh, certainly in the in the pc space and obviously no no Big changes in the in the service space. That all seems to just be moving along um, as as it always has. I guess the big entrant that we've we've seen in the in the last couple of years really um, has. So yeah, it'll be interesting to to see whether uh, whether they really really gain um, you know much much of a foothold on a, on a longer term basis. All right, well that's us. This has been the very first episode of the Channel Partner Podcast. We really appreciate everyone who has listened into this episode. You will find us online. We're on Facebook, Channel Partner Podcast. We are also on Twitter, Channel Partner is our Twitter handle. And, of course, our website is channelpartnerpodcast.com. So we really look forward to uh, connecting with you in those locations. You can also email us, feedback at channelpartnerpodcast.com as well. So thanks, everyone, for listening in. We will catch you on the next episode of the Channel Partner Podcast. Podcast.